My son on the way to, to the service this morning, he asked me, why is it called Good Friday? Why is it that we call this day the Good Friday? Well, because what we just read is the Father laying on him the iniquity of us all, of his people, of those who believe in him. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And as he stood on that cross, naked, disrobed, he robed himself of our sins so that now we can robe ourselves spiritually of his righteousness. Let us sing his robes for mind. Oh, wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live. For him, in my place, he died. Let's sing.
take a seat. Let's come before him and give him thanks for his wonderful grace to us. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, you graciously have given your Son as a sacrifice for our sins. We thank you. He obediently took our sins on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for that. He bore unspeakable judgment for us. He bore our sins on our behalf in accordance to your perfect, gracious will. And you have declared him to be the true Son of God by raising him up on the third day. And now, Lord, through your precious Spirit, you are still at work, bringing to bear, applying that accomplished work on Calvary's tree in the lives of your people, of your elect ones. We thank you, Lord that you have given us this great, gracious salvation, that all those who do come reverently, in penitence, repenting of their sins, you receive. And we thank you that those gifts are freely given, that you require of us no payment. We thank you that although you require no payment of us, it came at a great cost to yourself by giving your son, to your son by laying down his life as a ransom for many. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us from the darkness of hell into the kingdom of your marvelous light, that you give to us the most perfect and complete gift that when our Lord Jesus cried out on that cross to his finished, it was finished indeed, that nothing was left to be done by us that we now just have to trust you by faith to believe and be saved from our sins so Lord we owe everything we are to you we were deeply stained, guilty of countless sins, sins that we have committed in our ignorance and sins that we have committed carelessly and sins that we have committed deliberately, sins of thought, of word, and of deed. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us, that, that although our sins had cut us off from heaven and from fellowship with you, through your Son, our Lord Jesus, on that cross, you made the way. You built a bridge that bridges the chasm between us and our sins and you and your holiness. We thank you that it was indeed your doing out of the abundance of your goodness and mercy that you've done, done those things. We did not deserve or merit any of it, Lord, but you've done it all so that your glory might be proclaimed. And you declare the gospel, the good news of salvation, to us by your Spirit, through the preaching of your, of your word. And your Spirit did indeed, in time, graciously drew us in, made us willing to receive the words of eternal life, to look upon the Christ, 
the risen Savior, and to be saved from our sins. Oh, Lord, we cannot fathom, we cannot express our gratitude. Words fail us. There, are, there is no, not enough words in the human language to express the gratitude that we should feel for what you have done. But Lord, accept this gratitude that we bring, although feeble and, and certainly incomplete and not extensive enough in light of your great love. Lord, accept our gratitude for the merits of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, be with us as we come to consider your worth, as we open it first to read it and then to meditate upon it. Oh Lord, would you bring us close to the cross? Would you allow us to kneel in the dust at the foot of that cross where mercy paid for us, the great ransom for our sins? And Lord, would you fill us once again with a sense of awe, awe and wonder at your great mercy. We pray, Lord, these things for the glory and in your name, Son, and in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 19. Today's passage is from this, uh, today's sermon is based, uh, is an exposition of a verse in this passage, John chapter 19. We're going to read a, a larger section just so we get uh, the context as well. John 19 from verse 17 to verse 30. So reads the word of God. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where, where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. The Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without a seam, woven from the top in one, in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers, these, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sisters, sister Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. My sermon uh, this morning, is its theme is on verse 30, when our Lord Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. The richest word for the Son. It is finished. The most pleasing word to the Father. It is finished. The most terrible word for the devil. It is finished. The most blessed word for sinners. Our Lord Jesus spoke many, many rich and blessed words in his ministry. Think of the Beatitudes when he said that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or think of the many gospel invitations that he did and that he proclaimed throughout his life. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In his prayers, in, his, in the solitude of the prayer closet, he prayed in many rich ways and with such rich words. He said, Father, my will is that where I am, there they also may be with me, those whom you have given me. In his teaching, in his preaching, our Lord Jesus spoke many different rich words. In fact, you could say that everything that came out of our Lord's mouth was rich beyond all measure. He compared the kingdom of heaven to a pearl of great price, he said. Or he compared, the, in another occasion, the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed that grows into a, a, a tree. But I believe that it, it is on Good Friday. It was on that cross that our Lord Jesus uttered the most rich and beautiful word there is. It was on that tree that the richest words sounded from the lips of our Savior. He cried out, it is finished. He was there surrounded by uh, thieves, two murderers, one on each side, Jesus at the center, that he said, it is finished. That after three hours of darkness, like we read, he says these words and immediately the light shines again. And after he had drank that, that, that sour vinegar, after he had said those words, I thirst, he says, it is finished. You know, in the, in the Greek, the original uh, language in which the New Testament was written, it is only one word. So you could say that my sermon today is a, a sermon not on a verse or a section of scripture. It is a sermon on a word. 
a word spoken by our Lord. It is a word to tell us, Thai. It is a word that denotes a mission accomplished kind of uh, sentiment. It is done. I had a mission. It's finished. It is a word that, that if someone gave you a task to do, a master gave you a task, a boss gave you a task to do, if you were, after you had done it, you would go to your boss and you would say, Tetelestai, finished, done, accomplished. Whatever you've given me, I've done. And then for our Lord Jesus to say this, he's saying that all that he had to do all that he had to do in his life, in his suffering on the cross, in his humiliation, in his walk here on earth, all that he had been given to do, he says, it is finished. It is done. What the prophets had foretold, we read from Isaiah, but he was foretold in the, in the, in the Old Testament by the prophets many times. And what the prophets had foretold in the, in the Old Testament, it is finished. He done it all. What the, the ceremonies of the Jews in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament religion uh, pointed forward, what those ceremonies foreshadowed, it is done. It is finished. All of it. And as he stood there, he did not just whisper. From the passage we, we read in Luke, we read that he, he cried out, he proclaimed with a loud voice, that this dying man for six hours on that cross, already with no strength, he was given strength to proclaim, to shout out, to exclaim this last word. It is finished, he said. It resounded over all of Golgotha, over all, all over all of Calvary, everyone there heard him cry out this shout, It is finished. The work that the Father had given to him to do is now done. This, in this world of fallen humanity plagued by sin, this man, this perfect, holy, righteous, just man, he restored the honor of the Father by living a perfect life. In obedience to all the law, Christ the man restores the honor to and of his father. It's said of Christ in Psalm, one of those prophecies that, that he came to fulfill in Psalm 40, verse 7 to 9. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight, Jesus says, to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I did not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know the great mission that was given to him by the Father. He did it. So this word, it is finished, is him saying, I've done it. It is a rich word for himself. It is a mark of his finally accomplishing all that he had set out to do. He came and he took the wages of sin, death on that cross. He suffered death in the place of ruined sinners like you and me. He took the punishment of God for sin. He paid for it. On that cross, he crushed the serpent's head. He satisfied the demands of God's justice. He bore the guilt of his people. He quenched the wrath of their sins. He obeyed the law. And Christ says, I've done it. It's done. It's finished. No, nothing else left to do. I finished the work that you gave me to do. He prayed 
For this purpose, he was born in Bethlehem. When you look back in, uh, at his birth in, uh, uh, that we remember in, Christmas, uh, in the Christmas season, for this purpose, that's why he came into the world. It's for this purpose, that's why he laid the baby in that manger, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. It was for this work, for this purpose, that he came to this world. This was his mission. This was what motivated him from the very start. And now he says, it is done. I finished the work which you gave me to do, Father. So you see, Good Friday is Good Friday because it is not a tragedy. When you look at the cross, when you see the cross and don't understand what's happening there, you might be fooled and might be uh, uh, tempted to think, oh, what a great tragedy, this innocent man dying on the cross. But it is not a tragedy. It is not uh, an accident. It is the accomplishment of the Lord's mission. And there is death here that I cannot explain, that I cannot even begin to explain. We cannot reach it. Everything has now been done, he says. Yes, our Lord Jesus will still have to be buried. He will still have to be raised on the third day. Resurrection must still come. But we can say with John Calvin that all that needed to be practically accomplished on that on Jesus's earthly ministry everything that could stand on the way of saving sinners everything that remained to be done is done when Jesus says it is finished the work is indeed finished that's why it's such a rich word for Christ himself to say his life on earth is now finished all that trouble that he went through all that those struggles all that he had to endure here on earth, the scorn, the ridicule, it is finished now, he says. It is done. I've endured it all. I've lived a perfect life. I've died the I'm at the cross dying this atoning death. I've done it all. It is finished. Father, I have glorified you here on earth. Now his suffering is complete. You see, when Jesus was born from the very beginning, this was the purpose. When we think of the baby lying in the manger, we always need to know that from the cradle, he was going to that cross, from the crib to the cross. There was no other way about it. That was his mission from the start, to go to Golgotha's cross. And now it is done. All of the things leading up to this moment all was his mission being fulfilled. The blood sweating in, in, in Gethsemane's garden. The, the, the abandonment of his disciples. The way that he stood in front of the Sinedrin, completely silent, like a lamb before its shearers. All of it was in fulfillment of his purpose. He suffers on that cross. He bleeds and he dies, not for himself. That's what you need to realize. He dies there, not for himself, but he dies for sinners, as a surety, as a mediator. It's because of the sins of his people that he bears this. On Golgotha, 
and leading up to Golgotha. But on Golgotha, he is beaten and nailed to the cross because of the sins of his people, not because of his own sins. He was innocent as the thief on his side testified. And on that cross, he's done everything. The work is done. The spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is slain on that, on that Passover day. And thus his work is sealed. The, the, the veil from the temple gets ripped apart. You know what that means? It means that now people can have full access through the sacrifice of the Son. Now people can come into the presence of the Father. The temple was there and people could come up to the temple, but they could never come into the presence of the, of the Father inside the temple because there was a veil there separating us from the presence of the Holy God. But when Christ cries out, not a cry of despair, not a cry of, uh, of despair like people when they're about to die cry out in this world, oh, I'm undone, it's done, it's finished, I can no longer take this. No, it wasn't a cry of despair, it was a shout of victory. And when he cries out, it is finished, the veil rips from top to bottom, saying that now we, the people of God, can have full access into his presence. No more sins in our, uh, stand in our way because he took them all past present and future on that cross Christ cries out here in the cross saying it is finished and it is the most rich word for him to say he says it is finished I, I've, I've fought the good fight I've, I've finished my race I've, I now have the crown of glory it's mine and this is the first thought this is the first point the richest word for the son. But it is also the most pleasing word to the father. He says it is finished in this word at this time. And he doesn't address it to anyone. The other words that the Lord Jesus spoke from the cross, he addresses them. We read some of them. He speaks uh, to, the, to his mother, woman, behold your son. He, he speaks to the thief. And he addresses those words. He prays to the father, Fa father, uh, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This one is the only word that is not addressed to, to anyone, which might lead us to think, uh, who is it spoken to? Well, it is spoken to those on earth, certainly, to those who were listening. It is spoken to those in heaven, to the angels, perhaps. But it's most specially spoken to the Father. You see, the Father sent him. He sent him to do this work. And when the Lord Jesus speaks, it is finished. It is the most pleasing word for the Father to hear. How pleasant this word must have sounded to the Father. God created the heavens and the earth. Six days he created, it, created everything. On the sixth day he finished the work and he proclaimed it is good, very good. And it was indeed very good. Now on Good Friday, the sixth day of the week, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, he finishes the work of new creation and indeed it is very, very, very good. New creation is accomplished. The only begotten Son of God, the one who is spoken in Proverbs 8 and says that he was always in the presence of the Father before the world was. The him who was in the bosom of his Father. He came into this world on a mission given by his Father to, to accomplish this great work that culminates on the cross. 
He is, Jesus Christ is the one of whom the Father descended upon on the, on the Jordan River and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. How pleasing the work of the Son must have been to God the Father. You see, there, there is a sense where God always loves the Son. The Son and the Father are one in, in, in divinity. The Godhead has always had this love between itself, him. But there is a real way that the Father loves the Son because of the work that the Son does. In fact, our Lord Jesus, he said, Therefore the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Because the Son gives his life on the tree, on the cross, on Golgotha, because the Son pours out his life on that tree, we are told that the Father loves him, that the Father loves him, that the Father is pleased with him, that the Father's mission is accomplished on that cross. Therefore, when Christ cries out, it is finished, it is the most pleasing word for, for the Father to hear because the power of sin that had brought the world under darkness, the power of sin has been done away with. The power of, of, the, of, of sin and death is broken by his son. God's plan of salvation for sinners now reaches its goal at the cross. It was God's counsel. It was God's mission. It was God's will to open the way of salvation. It was God's way of showing mercy to sinners. You see, the great problem is that God cannot be just and the justifier of sinners unless there is an atoning death. That God cannot save sinners and just say, okay, your sins are forgiven, I'll sweep them under the rug, because then he would be an unjust God. God, I've given this illustration often, but let me give it again, because it does represent the, the need for, for an atonement to be made. Imagine you get to your home this, this evening, and as you get there, your family, you find that your family has been slain, has been murdered by, a, by a, a perpetrator. And you find the murderer there still. And you refrain yourself from, from bringing that murderer, uh, justice, from bringing justice with your own hands. You know that there is a law in this country and you, you call the police and the police come in and they take him. He's just murdered your family. And the police bring him before the judge in the court. And the judge in the court uh, looks at the man and he says, Look, what you have done is a very wrong thing. You shouldn't have murdered those people. But I'll tell you this. I'm a very loving judge. I'll just forgive you of doing that. Okay? I'm a loving judge. You can go. Be, uh, I'm not going to punish you for, for that crime. You would be upset. You would say, what, a, what an unjust, unrighteous, wicked judge. You would go out and you would uh, call on all the newspapers and you would proclaim to everyone that judge is just as wicked as the man he just forgave. Wouldn't you? So God cannot just forgive. But what, what wonder of wisdom is there in God that he will forgive and that in his wisdom he would send his son to live and to die for our sins. The marvel of God's wisdom that he found a way to save us so that he can be both the, ju the just God 
and the justifier of those who are forgiven. So that's why this word, it is finished, is the most pleasing word to the Father. Because now the way has been opened. In the past, leading up to the cross, there were saints that were forgiven of their sins. But they were forgiven on the credit that there would come a time, that there would be a place where something would happen, that their sins would be taken away. Their sins were forgiven on credit in that sense. They did not know why. They did not understand. But the father knew why. That's why he could forgive Abraham. That's why he could forgive Isaac, Jacob, David, so many Old Testament saints. But now on the cross, God no longer needs to withhold this in this way because now the way has been opened for sinners to come in to the presence of the father i say this reverently but i believe that when jesus said it is finished it was the like music in the father's ears that it was it was the most sweet smelling incense that ever has gone up from this world to heaven was when the father, when the, the son said it is finished because it was the the culmination of everything that we read on the in the bible about the history of the world from the beginning there was this prophecy that he would that, that he would the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and it's now here the seed of the woman crushing the serpent's head everything fulfilled Everything that God's justice can demand, everything is done by him. And the father showed it in the Easter morning, didn't he? He raised him up from the, from the dead. The sacrifice of Golgotha's cross was accepted. The work had indeed been accomplished. The most pleasant word for the father. But thirdly, it is the most terrible word for the devil. It is the most rich word for the son. It is the most pleasing word to the father. And it's the most terrible word for the devil. Oh, what a defeat that the devil uh, endured, uh, suffered on Golgotha. Not Satan, but God achieved his goal in Golgotha. And when Christ cries out, it is finished. It, it, it might have seemed up until that moment that Satan was winning. That he, was, that he had the upper hand. That he was getting the best of it. That he was finally getting his, his goals accomplished. Christ is nailed to a cross. He's being mocked. He's been abandoned by his disciples. It seems like Satan is winning. It seems like finally he's managed to get his way. That Christ had been defeated. He's been abandoned. But then these words come out in, in, from the mouth of the Savior. It is finished. Our Satan must have trembled when he heard these words. Because then he realized, actually I was not winning. Actually I'm defeated now. He must have trembled. All those arrows, all those attempts, all those fiery darts that he tried to stop Jesus from accomplishing this work. All of it to prevent him from accomplishing the work on the cross. He failed. And he failed miserably. He tried it at Jesus' birth. You know the story? When King Herod, he, he, he declared that all the, the male children in, in the Bethlehem region were to be killed. 
that was Satan trying to stop Jesus from going to, to, from fulfilling his mission. When he came to Jesus already in his, uh, in his, in his ministry, earthly ministry, he came into the wilderness and he tempted Jesus. He said to Jesus, what is it that you want? You want the world? Is that why you came? Look, I'll give you the world. You don't have to go through all of this. Just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of it. It's all for you. Worship me and I'll give it to you. But yet Christ remained focused on the mission that was given to him by the Father. Think of Peter. At one, at one time, Peter interjects, ever the, the outspoken apostle, he interjects something and, and, the, and our Lord says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Even on Golgotha, even on that cross, as he was standing there, he could, you could hear the, the, the seed of the serpent, the, 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 the Satan's minions trying their best to cause him to stumble and sin. Oh, are you not the son of God, they say? Are you not the son of God with all this power? Take your, bring yourself down from the cross. They sneered and they laughed and they mocked at him. Oh, he has saved others, they said. He has saved others. He cannot save himself. Challenging him, tempting him to show his power. But our Savior kept to his task, to the end. Because it means, because he knew his mission. He did not leave the cross. He stayed there to the end. He loved his own, and he loved them to the end, he said. So that's why this is the most terrible word for Satan. It is finished, and he, it's been defeated. Death lost its sting. Satan, now when Christ says this, Satan has to let go of his prey. He no longer has the power. His game is over. His power is broken on Golgotha. The Savior enters the house of the strong-armed one and he conquers him and he defeats him fully and completely. So Satan must have trembled on Good Friday. He must tremble to this day remembering his defeat at Calvary. He could never have imagined, could he? That God's love would go as far as giving his only begotten son to save sinners. Yes, he still walks around roaring like a lion, seeking whom, to eat, whom the, he can eat and devour. But Satan, dragon, the old serpent, the accuser, he no longer holds sway. He would, if he could, stop the preaching and the progress of the gospel. He would, if he could, stop the preaching of, of, the, of the gospel in this world. But he can no longer do so. He would like to keep God's church out of heaven, but he cannot do so. Oh yes, he's still around. He still knows how to spin that wheel and keep it spinning of sin and wickedness in this world. But he no longer has the power over it. Christ has triumphed over him. 
It is finished. The most rich word for the Son, the most pleasing word to the Father, the most terrible word to to Satan, to the devil. But finally, and lastly, it is the most blessed word for sinners. There are no greater, most blessed words. There is no greater, most blessed word that you can hear in your life than the Son of God saying, it is finished. It is finished. That's the gospel. It is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. There's nothing else left to do. All of it done. All done. Christ has brought life. Sinners are now reconciled to God through his death. This word indeed is the pearl of great price that he spoke of. When you hear it, when you understand what it means, it is the, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed to you. Why, why, what does it say? It says to you, nothing left to be done. All that work that you are tempted to do to get in the good side of God, you don't need to do it. Because Christ has done it all. For Christ has not only proclaimed this word for heaven and to his Father. He's not only said it in the, in the hearers of Satan so that he would know his defeat. He said it to the earth. He said it to all of those standing on Golgotha's hill. And he says it today to us. It is finished. It is done. It is done. Nothing left to be done. Nothing left to be accomplished by anyone. But let us remember, church, what Israel also had to remember in the Day of the Atonement. Good Friday is parallel to the Day of the Atonement in Old Testament Israel. In the Day of the Atonement, they, they were to remember... And it says in Leviticus uh, 23:29 that for any person who is not afflicted in soul on the same day shall be cut off from his people. God is saying to us, even today, as he said it back then in the day of the atonement for the people of God in the Old Testament, he's saying to us, we must remember, we must remember that every soul that has not humbled itself before God will be cut off. Repentance is what is being spoken of here. That is a part of our coming. You remember in the Old Testament, the Passover meal, the Jews would have a, the Passover, and there, there was a meal with a lamb, with, with unleavened bread, and with a, a sour uh, herbs. You cannot taste the sweetness of the Lamb of God without tasting the bitterness of our own sin. There was this bitter a sour herb element to it. How can Christ become sweet in your ears if you have not tasted the bitter herbs of your own sin? And that, my friends, is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit in us, working in our hearts, showing us our need for the Savior. It is the work of the Spirit shaping us So that we may fit into Christ. So that we might partake of Christ. It is the work of the Spirit to renew our hearts. 
It is the work of the Spirit to tell us that we cannot do anything to accomplish our salvation. It is the Spirit that tells us that actually the chasm that is there between us and God is so big that we cannot build it. And if, even if we spend an eternity trying to build our, our, our bridge to connect us to God, our sin day by day only makes that chasm bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you cannot do it. It's impossible. It is not possible for you to make that chasm bridge itself. You can never finish that work. You can never accomplish that work. But then the words of our Lord Jesus sound in your ears when he says, it is finished. It is finished. It is the Spirit telling you, you don't need to, to bridge that gap. Even if you, you cannot bridge that gap. But Christ has bridged that gap. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that is the message of Good Friday. And that's why Good Friday is good. Because although it might seem a tragedy, humanly speaking, to see that Savior dying on that cross. To see that holy, just one dying on the cross. It is in fact good because it is on that cross that the chasm between us and God has been bridged forever. Pure grace. Through his merit. No price to be paid. Just come and drink. He says it is finished. You can rest on that. Truly it is the most blessed word for a sinner to hear. It is finished. Because it calls out to the sinner. That everything has been done. Let me just give you this illustration before I finish. It, Let's say that the government, because there is rampant debt in this country, I don't know if you're in debt uh, and if you have uh, uh, creditors and at your, at your doorstep and, uh, and uh, what's it called, the, the guys that come and try and, and, uh, and take things off of your house if you, if you have not paid uh, off your debts. Bailiffs, thank you. I don't know if that's your case, but let's say the government tries to institute something to help this. And he says, okay, every seven years, there's going to be a, a, a pardon given to every, de uh, to every debt that uh, needs to be paid. Um, every seven years, at the new year, in the New Year's Day, all those debts will be cancelled. How would that... Uh, toll of the bell in, in Big Ben sound to you. Let's say it was 2023. They say from next year, 2023, all those debts will be cancelled, all those, those um, difficulties will be taken away, everyone gets a clean sheet, uh, a clean slate of, to start off uh, from. Oh, you would look forward to hearing that Big Ben sh uh, chime on, on New Year's Day, wouldn't you? You would look forward to it. Oh Lord, may it be In the history of Israel, there was a, a, a period and there was a, a set time called the year of the Jubilees. Every seven years, 
everyone who was uh, who was enslaved because of their uh, debts, everyone who had debts to his name, everyone who had sold their their land, every all of that would be reset, bring brought back to 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 the normal uh, order. Every seven years, this would happen in Israel. If you're a slave, you're freed. If you're, a, if you're in debt, all your debts are written off. Every seven years, the priest would come and sound the trumpet and everyone hearing it would know, finally, I'm, I can take this burden off of my back. And again, all of these things are in the Old Testament to foreshadow and point us to something in Christ. It is in Christ when he cries, it is finished, that the bell in the big band sounds for the new year. Or it, it is in, 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 the, uh, in the cross when Christ cries out, it is finished, that the trumpets sound and it procl- they proclaim the year of the jubilee of our Lord. Now everyone is free. Fortunately, many, because of their, the darkness of their sin, they are still in the prison, although the prison doors have been Wide open, although the rose of access to the Lord, to God the Father, has has been uh, there for them. Although the gospel invitation is given, like I'm giving it to you today, come to Christ, look to Christ, and be saved. Many do not see it. Oh, I pray that the Lord, by His Spirit, would open your eyes, that you would hear the words of our Savior crying, "It is finished." That you would hear Him. And that you would say with that centurion, as he witnessed all of these things, truly this man, truly this was the Son of God. What is this word for you? It is finished. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for you that the Prince of Life laid lifeless on that cross? What does it mean to you that the, the, the fountain of living waters poured out his life on that cross and thirsted? doing so seek Christ look to him trust in him that you will have life and there is life for one look at the Savior the Apostle Paul says in Romans 4 but to him who does not work listen to these words Because they are words that can only be said because of what Christ did on that cross. Because he proclaimed it is finished. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not.